Pastor Jim is our lead pastor and our normal teaching pastor. I'm not the normal guy. I'm the abnormal guy. So, but he's, uh, he and Marcy are out of town, uh, this week. And so I'm bringing the message today. So, um, would you join me in prayer one more time? Dear Lord, as we open up your word together this morning, I pray that your, your spirit would fill each one of us and open our hearts and our ears and our minds to receive your word. God, use the words that I have today for your purposes. Give me the words that you want me to say and help us to receive your truth this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, we are in Acts uh, chapter 26. There are 28 chapters in Acts. So we are really close. We've been in Acts for a long time. Um, And if you want to turn there, um, if you grab one of the Bibles that we have at the back, there's some Bibles back there behind the offering table. If you need one, if you're using one of those Bibles, we are on page 879. But if you're in your own Bible, just turn to the table of contents and look up the, the book of Acts and find the page number that it's on. It's the fifth book of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, fifth book of the New Testament. So let us get up to speed real quick on Acts. At the whole book of Acts is all about what happened right after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, taught his disciples, and then ascended into heaven. The book of Acts is what happened next. It's all about how the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and, and how God used them to help start his church. And a central figure in all of that is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he, he um, was commissioned by Jesus to start churches and, and, and make disciples and spread the gospel all over Asia and around the Mediterranean. So the Apostle Paul, he's been traveling around, preaching the gospel in different places, raising up elders, starting churches. Many people became Christians, many Jews, many Gentiles. By the way, if a, a Gentile is just somebody who's not a Jew. We're all Gentiles, I think, most of us. But he also spent a lot of time getting in trouble. Not everybody was super happy about his message. Particularly a lot of the Jews. And we'll see, we'll see the reason why a little later. So he got into a lot of trouble recently, as we saw the, over the last few weeks, when he came to Jerusalem and some Jews were uh, accusing him of teaching people to not follow the law of Moses, what we, what we refer to as the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. They were accusing him of, of teaching people to convert to Christianity and to reject the Jewish traditions. And a great riot erupted, and they were trying to kill him. And um, the Roman tribune, 
who was in charge of that area, saved him, saved his bacon, arrested him just to basically take him into custody so that he didn't get killed. And then he was trying to figure out, what do I do with this guy, Paul? And what what is the deal? Why are these Jews so upset at him? Then there was a plot by some of those Jews to kill Paul. They're like, we're going to take an oath. We're going to not eat or drink until he's, until he's dead. But God preserved him through all of this. So the Roman tribune, he sends him to Felix, the governor of that, of that province. And then Felix is trying to figure out what to do with him. And Felix keeps him in prison for two years. Then Felix is succeeded by Festus, who became the new governor. And then Festus was trying to figure out what is why 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 are you here? Why are you in prison? Why do these what do these Jews have against you? And he couldn't understand. So Festus said, "Why don't I take you back up to Jerusalem, and you can stand trial there before the Jewish council?" And Paul, um, as a Roman citizen, as is his right, he appeals to Caesar. He didn't want he didn't want to go to Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Rome. And it's probably just as well because they were still planning to ambush him and kill him, the Jews. So a neighboring province of Jerusalem uh, was ruled by a Jewish king named King Agrippa, as we saw last week. And he had come to Jerusalem to visit the new governor, Festus. It was basically a state visit. And King Agrippa was considered by Rome to be an expert in the Jewish religion. So Festus says, okay, great, maybe you can help me. Maybe you can hear this guy, Paul, and help me figure out what to tell Caesar when I send him to Rome, because I don't understand what the deal is. So Agrippa says, yeah, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear Paul. So I'm going to back up a little bit to the end of verse 25, or the end of chapter 25, and um, read this passage that kind of tells us, brings us up to where we are today. So Acts 25, verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So then picking up um, at the first verse of, of chapter 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. 
especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So Paul is glad that he can explain his case before somebody who will actually understand what the, what the Jews are accusing him of. But also, and, and more, more, more than that, he is eager to be able to preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus to King Agrippa and to all these dignitaries that are in the room. So beginning in verse 4, he lays out his Jewish, Jewish pedigree because the Jews were accusing him, again, of trying to lead people away from Judaism. So in, in verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So Paul's life was an exemplary model of adherence to the Jewish faith. And everybody knew it. He had lived, he was born in Tarsus, but at some point, apparently when he was young, they moved to Jerusalem. And he had lived, he had studied under the famous Rabbi Gamaliel. He said he was a part of the strictest party of our religion. He was a Pharisee. So what he's trying to establish is that, hey, look, I'm a Jew of Jews. I've been following our traditions and our laws since a, since a youth, and they, since I was a youth, and they all know it. All the Jews know it. So I'm not preaching against Judaism. And then he says, and now I stand here on, in verse 6, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our twelve tribes hope to attain. What is that hope? He's on trial because of his hope in the promise made by God. The promise made by God, their hope, that all the um, nation of Israel was waiting for, was the promise of the Messiah, that God would send a Messiah, a Savior, to rescue Israel, to deliver them. And and so basically he's saying, this is nothing new. This is what we're all hoping for. And this is why I'm on trial. Paul believed that Jesus was that Messiah. And that Jesus' resurrection from the dead proved it. It's ironic that it was the Jews who were accusing him. Because the Pharisees, of which he was a part, he was a Pharisee, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. And that's why he says in verse 8, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Have you ever run into people, or maybe you've had this thought yourself, that it's just hard to wrap your mind around the miraculous. When people object to certain beliefs about Christianity, it's like, Jesus really born of a virgin? Come on. And my answer is always, 
look, if there's a God, why, why is that hard to believe? If God is God, and he is, if there is a God, and there is, why is it hard to believe any of that? That God could, God, God is out, God created this whole system of natural law, and he is outside of it. So if he's God, he can do anything he wants, right? So he's saying, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So in verse 9, he goes on. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. If you're unfamiliar with the story, this is where Paul came from. He was against Jesus. He was against the Christians. He was against the church. He said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And when, when he was doing all of these things, he was convinced he was doing the right thing. He was convinced that this is what God wanted him to do, was oppose this, this Jesus who was claiming to be the Messiah. So what could possibly make Paul change his mind? He was basically a terrorist against the church. It'd be like if, if uh, when he was alive, Osama bin Laden walking in and saying, I believe, I want to be a part of your church. We'd be all like, um, somebody check him. Somebody frisk that guy. It was really like that. What could make Paul change his mind? And so now he, in verse 12, he's going to tell us what made him change his mind. And by the way, this is the third time in the book of Acts that this story is recounted. So it's pretty important. Picking up in verse 12. In this connection, the connection of persecuting the church, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what made Paul do a 180 and change his mind? He encountered the resurrected, risen, living Jesus. 
And you'll notice, as we've seen before, that Jesus said, Paul, you're not persecuting the church. You're not persecuting Christians. You're persecuting me. In persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. And then Jesus commissions Paul. He said, I'm going to deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Here's the message that that we all need and that Jesus wants him to preach. Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The word sanctified, it means set apart. Those who are set apart by faith in me. We are also, like Paul, we are commissioned to, to, spend this, to spread this news, to spread this message in the world around us. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people who are in darkness. The people are not our enemies. They are living in darkness, and they don't know it. And God sends us to shine his light in the darkness. And moreover, they are under the power of Satan. That doesn't mean that, that sounded weird, doesn't mean that they're possessed or anything like that. But this world, this culture, is ruled by Satan. God has given Satan permission to rule on this earth until God comes and takes over. So many of the problems that we see uh, as believers, that we see as problems in the culture, some of the beliefs that just go against Christianity, it's, it's demonically inspired. So much of what we're dealing with against as Christians is not against the government per se. Underneath it all is a demonic influence that wants to draw people away from God, that wants to take the truth of God and pervert it, that wants to take what is true and counterfeit it to lead people away from God. That's what we're dealing with. That's why we need to constantly be in prayer. For the people around us, and for God's power to be able to take this good message into the world. So here we see Paul. He goes from being commissioned by the chief priests to terrorize and persecute the church to being commissioned by Jesus to bring people into the church. Just like that. He does a 180 just like that because he encountered the risen Jesus. Amazing. How many of you have that story? You were going one direction and then you encountered Jesus and it's like, Different direction. So we pick it up in in verse 19. Paul says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, 
then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had that the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So he says, Jesus commissioned me. I immediately obeyed. I started preaching the good news about Jesus right there where I was in Damascus and then, I, and then on in Jer- Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles. The people should repent and turn to God. Repent just means to turn from your sin and turn to God. Turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. So stop doing the things that God doesn't want you to do and do the things God does want you to do. And he said, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God. God has had brought him along and sustained him through all kinds of trials. He thwarted the, the plot to assassinate him, and that's why he was standing there today. And then he, sa- he reiterates, he says, I'm, saying, I'm not saying anything but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. This is what the Jews believe. This is what God has told us that the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah, that the Christ must suffer just as Jesus suffered, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So that's interesting that it says, being the first to rise from the dead, because Jesus wasn't the first to rise from the dead. There's uh, Elijah in the Old Testament, he raised a boy from the dead. So what? why does it say being the first to rise from the dead? And other people, Jesus rose, uh, raised people from the dead. So what's the difference here between those people who were raised from the dead and Jesus being raised from the dead and, and being called the first to rise from the dead? Well, the difference is those other people who were raised from the dead, they eventually died again. Jesus raised from the dead never to die again. So he was the first to rise from the dead, meaning that there will be others to rise from the dead. And he's talking about those who profess faith in Jesus and become Christians, that we will eventually be raised from the dead into new heavenly bodies, never to die again. So when he tells us in verse 21, he says, For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. For what reason? Well, we, we find the answer to that if we go back a little bit into chapter 22, when Paul was in the temple, there was a, the Jews were trying to, they were rioting, they were trying to kill him. The Roman tribune comes and saves him. And Paul, as he's leading him away, he says, can I... Can I address the crowd? And so he lets him address the crowd, and he starts speaking to them. And he says this. It's uh, Acts 22, starting in verse 17. He says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, 
He's telling this to this crowd of Jews. I fell into a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then it says in verse 22, Up to this word the word Gentiles, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow, such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. They could not accept that God would offer salvation to non-Jews, which is actually pretty ironic because God's whole commission to the nation of Israel was to be a light to the world to show the rest of the world what God was like. And they just could not wrap their minds around the fact that God would offer salvation to anyone but Jews. So it's also ironic that these Jews who wanted Paul arrested, they wanted him killed, they wanted the Romans to kill him, It's ironic that their whole plan backfired because they arrested him, because they insisted that he be put on trial. Paul's getting all these opportunities to preach the good news of the gospel to governors and Roman tribunes and now King Agrippa and all these dignitaries who were assembled in this audience. God, that's why God preserved him. That's why God gave him all these opportunities. God can use any of our circumstances to use us for his purposes. You may find yourself in difficult circumstances, a difficult job or difficult relationships. Paul had been sitting in prison for over two years. And do you think he was discouraged? He was probably a little discouraged and like, God, what, what are you doing? But God can use those circumstances for his purposes. If we keep our eyes open, if we keep our eyes open for opportunity and always be praying, God, help me see the opportunities that you give me to share your message with the people around me. And we pick it up in verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
So Paul had just, in the passage we read before, Paul had just communicated the message of the gospel. He said, he said, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And Festus, the Roman governor, just couldn't take it anymore. He's like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. He did not know what to do with this message. And it could have been partly because he was a Roman, totally different belief system. And it's like a suffering savior, people raising from the dead. This doesn't make any sense to me. It's totally foreign to him. Now, King Agrippa understood what Paul was saying. He had a familiarity with the Jewish, the Hebrew scriptures. But would he believe? We see here a couple of reactions to the gospel that many of us, I'm sure, have encountered when we talk about Jesus. Some people are just like, you're crazy. None of that makes any sense. I don't understand. And they just kind of have a hard time believing or understanding, grasping. Some people will understand the message, but it, in, their, in their case, it's not a matter of the intellect, it's a matter of the will. So what, what would be the implications of King Agrippa believing, accepting, receiving this message about Jesus? Well, it's widely be- believed, as we learned last week, that Bernice who was mentioned as being with him, was not his wife, but his sister, and that they had, uh, it was widely rumored that they had an incestuous, incestuous relationship. So if he believed this message, what would that mean for that relationship? And here's this Roman governor who just called Paul crazy, What would he think about Agrippa if Agrippa accepted this message? What would that mean for his status, his position? He's like, well, I don't want Festus to think I'm crazy too. We'll we'll encounter many objections to the gospel as we share the good news. Some people won't believe because of what it would mean for them. And we'll find, you'll find that reaction. I really think that that's why a lot of people have such a visceral reaction against Christianity. Because, at least subconsciously, they understand that if this is true, it changes everything for me. These relationships that I have, what people think of me, I know I'm going to have to stop doing that. Oh, and that other thing too. I know I have to stop that. And I also believe that that's why moral relativity 
is so prevalent. And what I mean by that is, have you ever heard people say, well, that's your truth. I've got my own truth. You ever heard that? And that sounds nice sometimes. I mean, how convenient, right? Well, that's true for you, but that doesn't have to be true for me. Well, truth is truth. If something is true, it's true. I don't want the pilot of my airplane to operate by his own truth when it comes to physics and how to fly a plane, right? I don't want my doctor to operate by his truth on human anatomy as he cuts me open or as he treats my disease. And really what, you know, I, what I want to say to most people is just be honest. Just say you don't want to believe. Because either there's a God or there's not. And if there's not, then, you know, pity me above all. That's what the Bible says. It says if, if this is true, if this isn't true, we are to be pitied above, above all people. Because we put our faith in, in a lie. So that's the real key. Is this true or not? One of our values as a church is truth. And if you looked on our website, it would say, one of our values is truth, and it says, we are always asking, what does the Bible say? So that we can live authentic Christian lives. I hope you, if you're a believer, I hope you're constantly asking that. I hope you're constantly in the Word. If you're not in the Word, you don't know what the Word says. And so you don't know how to adjust your life To live as you should. Don't take, don't take other people's word for what the Bible says. You need to be in the word for yourself daily. Daily in the word. That's how God speaks to us and reveals himself to us. And I've said this before. You need to decide. What if this says something that I don't like? What if the Bible says something and I think something different? Am I going to adjust what I think to be in alignment with the Bible? Or am I going to stand over the Bible in authority and say, well, I don't like that part. God, I know better than you. Because that's in essence what you're saying. We always need to humbly come to the word, pray that God opens our eyes and that his spirit helps us to understand God, if, and if there's anything in my life that needs to change, any attitude I have that needs to change, any habit I have that needs to change, I'm willing to change. That's not a popular message if you didn't know. And by the way, it's impossible, as many of you have found, I'm sure, as I have found, it's a, you can't walk the fence between Christianity and the world for very long. You got You're gonna you're gonna fall off over onto the world side. There are many beliefs in the world today, in culture today, that go directly against 
what God says. And what we like to do, because we, like, we want people to like us, right? Who, who here wants to be hated? Just Toby. <clears throat> Nobody wants to be hated. You don't want people to ridicule you or mock you or say bad things about you. And so what we like to do is try to straddle that fence and say, well, those, those, these things are okay. I know the Bible kind of says this, but it's okay. That doesn't work for very long. You'll get, you'll get pulled away from Christianity over into the world, and you won't be able to be effective for God. And here's an an important distinction. We don't need to hate the people in the world who believe these things that the Bible says are wrong. God sends us to those people. Remember, it says that they're living in darkness. They're living in the darkness that, that is influenced by Satan. And Satan wants nothing more. Jesus said that he that Satan came to kill and destroy. Satan was a, an angel. He was the, the first among angels. And he wanted worship for himself. And so God kicked him out of heaven. And he's trying to prevent everybody else from coming to God and going to heaven. So we need to recognize that and understand that as we deal with the people in the world. They are not our enemies. God sends us to them as light to shine in the darkness and to show them the truth. So everything that we do, everything that we communicate is communicated in love, a love for those people. And we need to do what Paul did. Paul did two things. He told his own story about how he came to Jesus and how Jesus changed his direction. And then he also pointed them to the Scripture and says, this is what the Scripture says. So we need to tell people, look, here's what happened to me. I was lost, now I'm found. I was walking in darkness, and then Jesus saved me. And then we need to tell them what the Bible says. That we're separated by God because of our sin, and there is no way back. But God loves us, and so he provided a way for us by sending his son Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, somebody had, the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. Somebody had to die. So rather than us die for our sin, Jesus died for our sin in our place on the cross. And he shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, the Bible says. And then God raised him from the dead three days later, showing that, yes, his sacrifice was sufficient. He is the Messiah. And then he offers us that salvation as a gift. And what do you have to do when somebody offers you a gift? If I offer you this water, what do you have to do? You have to take it, right? 
Till you take it, it's not yours, right? That's the message we need to communicate. This gift is available for you, but until you take it, it's not yours. Well, what do I have to do? Just just receive it. And then it says, repent, which means turn from your sin and start doing the things that God would have you do. So having communicated this and alarmed everybody in the room, it says in verse 30, Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I find it interesting that they didn't talk about this earth-shattering message that Paul just delivered, but they changed the subject basically and said, uh, he's not really guilty, and then they just went on their way. But they, you notice they quickly ended the audience. I think it's because they were uncomfortable. So s- some of you here maybe have not accepted that free gift of Jesus. You haven't moved from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God and received forgiveness of sin and a place among God's family. And, um, you know, Agrippa, he had said, he said to Paul, I think in alarm, he said, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And some people have speculated it's like that some translations actually say, I almost believe. And that's actually not a good translation. But we don't know where Agrippa's heart was. But getting close or being almost there is still not there. You, you eventually have to make a decision. And I'll just tell you to choose, not to choose, Not to make a choice is making a choice. Because you're either in God's family or you're not. So for those of us who are Christians, are we ready to use the opportunities that God gives us to speak and to share the hope that is within us? Many of us won't find ourselves in as difficult circumstances as Paul was. Imprisoned for years with, you know, no hope of it. He had no idea how long he was going to be there. And then all of a sudden, he gets to speak before a king. I had the opportunity, I didn't plan on sharing this, but it just popped into my head. I had the opportunity one time, um, a friend of the family's dad, her dad died. And so we went, they had the memorial service at their house in their backyard. And um, her dad lived a pretty wild life. And uh, she asked me, she said, hey, because she knew I was a pastor. She said, hey, will you say something? And I said, "Uh, okay, what do you want me to say? Well, if you could just say something like, you know, he's in a better place. Or I said, well, how, how about I say this? And I gave her an outline. And she said, yeah, yeah, I'll say that. 
So I stood up in this backyard, and um, it literally looked like a crowd had just spilled out of a bar on a Friday night. That was the crowd. It was a rough crowd. And it would have been easy for me to say something else. And this isn't to pat myself on the back. This is just to show you. Sometimes you just have to take a step of faith and obedience and just share the gospel. And I just, and I just said, we're all separated by God, from God, because of our sin. There's no way back. So God provided a way because he loves us. And that's through his son Jesus. He died on the cross in your place for your sin. He rose from the dead. He offers that forgiveness to you so that you can go to heaven one day and have eternal life. God doesn't ask us to try to convince people. He doesn't, he doesn't ask us to save people. He asks us to just be obedient and open our mouth and tell people about him. He will do the rest. I have no idea how any of those people received that message. Luckily, nobody threw anything at me. But the results are God's, not ours. So are you looking for opportunity when it comes? Actually, before that, are you praying for opportunity? For God to give you opportunity to speak to people about him? And then I would encourage you to pray for the eyes to see the opportunity. God, when the opportunity comes, help me to see it. And God, give me the courage to just open my mouth. Well, how, do I, how will I know what to say? Well, if God's spirit is in you, he'll give you the words to say. But that's another good reason to daily be in his word. So that you know what his word says. And you can communicate what it says. And it's really important to remember that, you know, underlying all the hostility toward Paul that he faced from the Jews, from non-Jews, all the riots and trouble that he started wherever he went. Underlying all of that was not a hostility to Paul, but really a hostility to Jesus, a hostility to God. And that's what we need to remember, that we will face hostility but it's to be expected. And am I willing to face that, to be obedient to God? We really can expect nothing less. Jesus said, they hated me first, they'll hate you. They opposed me, they'll oppose you. We need to pick sides between the world and God. We need to lovingly call people into the world, into a knowledge of the truth. First Timothy 2 one through seven says this. And this is a, just in the gospel in a nutshell and, and what we're to be doing. First of all, then, I urge that, and Paul wrote this, by the way. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. Who? How many people? All people. Who desires all people to be saved. Nobody has a bigger heart for the world than God. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul understood his assignment. It's the assignment we all have. Will you make that choice to live for God, to dedicate yourself, to get off the fence, say, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to look for opportunity. I want to be your light. I don't want to be just another person who's safely lost in the crowd. Would you pray pray with me? Dear God, we pray that you give us courage daily. For those of us who are believers, we all want that. We know what, what we want, that we want to be brave and we want to be a good witness is hard sometimes. God, I pray that you give us opportunity, you give us courage, you give us boldness, you give us faith, you empower us by your Holy Spirit. You give us a sense of purpose, I pray. That we want to say, God, from this day forward, I want to be your ambassador. I want you to use me mightily. I want to be working with you and not against you, God. And for those of you who are here who have not taken that free gift, I urge you to make that choice today. To just say, God, I accept your free gift of salvation. I repent, I turn from my sin, and I want to I want to live for you. Thank you, God, that you've saved us. Thank you that you've loved us. Thank you that you brought us into your kingdom and that you want to use us as your ambassadors in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.